Once upon a time, there was a group of people who said to themselves, hey, we all speak the same language and we communicate really well and we work together really well. So what we should do is build this tower. Let's build a building that is so high that it reaches up into the heavens and we can actually go where God lives and maybe even become gods ourselves. That is the story of the Tower of Babel and that's what we're looking at today on Church Public. Let's get started. So today we're talking about the Tower of Babel, and I think there's an important reason that we're talking about the Tower of Babel, and it's because I think we're in this weird phase. We're actually in a reverse Tower of Babel. I'm going to talk more about that in a moment after we read this passage. And if you aren't familiar with the story, it comes out of Genesis 11. We're going to talk through that story, and we're going to talk about why we're in the opposite of that right now as a culture, which is really weird, and it's causing a lot of problems. Before we get to that, again, thank you for choosing Church Public. I'm really glad that you have stopped by. We are at churchpublic.com. You can listen there. You can pick it up at iTunes and Spotify and Google, and you can also go to YouTube and watch the video. I think sometimes the videos are helpful because you'll see more of what's going on, especially when there are cl clips and things like that. You can search Church Public as one word, and you can find us at YouTube there as well. You can always check us out on the social medias and interact with me there if you want to. I would love to hear from you. Again, thanks for your support, your prayers, and you can always go to churchpublic.com support to help me out as I continue to try to bring faith and culture together so that you know how you can live in this more and more crazy type world. So today we're looking at the Tower of Babel. If you aren't familiar with the story, it comes out of Genesis 11, and what happened was everyone on earth apparently spoke the same language, and there is power in people working together. I think in this day and age, especially now, we forget that, we don't want that, especially coming through this pandemic, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, it has really separated us in addition to all of the polemic politics that are really dividing us, a lot of these politics are seeking to divide us. You even have people like Charles Barkley and a bunch of other people who have recently come out and said all of the steps that Hollywood and the media and politicians are trying, that all the things they're doing are trying to divide us and not keep us together. And I think that's an important point, and that's what we're going to look at today. So I just want to read for you this story, because this is a good story about people working together and what they can accomplish, what we can accomplish, what you can accomplish when people work together. So this is the story of the Tower of Babel. I'm going to read out of Genesis 11. So out of Genesis 11, this is, now the whole world had one language and common speech, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the whole earth. And when they say make a name for themselves, essentially they're saying, we want to be like God. It's the same kind of conversation that Adam and Eve are having with the devil in trying to be like God. So, verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Lord said, if as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, listen to this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That's such a crucial statement, and it's so incredible. It's so incredible, not only that God recognizes this, but that God sees that when we work together, the, the power that we have 
in Unity is almost limitless. More on that in a moment. So what God does is says, verse seven, come, let's go down and confuse their language so they won't understand each other. And so from that point, everybody spoke a different language and they couldn't work together. And the building of this tower, which ultimately was a prideful endeavor because it was about me being better than God and thinking I can go up and ultimately like this is a story about replacing God in my heart, in my life, because now I am able to do more or at least as much as God can do. So why would I need God in this situation? So God did this only once, but now the powers of this world are doing basically the same thing to us. This is what we need to know. One of the things that's been changing over and over again, and you probably have noticed it, is that language has constantly been changing. As soon as you figure out what something means, that language changes. And that's an issue. It's an issue because how are we supposed to work together at all if we don't speak the same language, if we can't understand what each other are saying? And the definitions of words are literally changing every day. The definition of all these words changing doesn't allow us to get together and it doesn't allow us to work even to solve some of these issues that people are bringing up. There are issues that are problems in this world. Absolutely, 100%. But if we keep changing the definitions, we're not going to be able to solve these issues because we don't even know. For instance, even just using the words male and female as representatives of, well, male and female, those definitions don't apply anymore to a lot of the people in America and around the world, apparently. But how can we even talk about different things and different people and, and different instances if we're not talking about the same things? And this is, this is a problem. And the logical extension of this that we're beginning to see is that as words move from method of communication, a way of expressing ideas, a way of communicating and coming to solutions and even arguing through problems, as words move from that to actual implications on who you are and your identity as a person, and that's what we're really talking about here, it's identity, we've talked about this before on, on the channel, that when you use the wrong word to identify a person, now you're changing their identity and what that is, whether it's <laughs> um, in reality or whether it is, you hear this word existential, that means like your existence, um, or, I'm sorry, I'm trying not to use all these big, big words that are descriptors, but in all these ways describing what a person is, if you remove the ability to just label something for the sake of understanding that you're talking about the same thing, again, male and female, now those words can actually be viewed as hate speech. And this hate speech, then you extend that further, if the words you say are not only hateful, but they threaten the very identity of another human, then those words become violence. Okay, did you see how that works? First, we're using words to describe things so that we can come to a common understanding and hopefully common solution. Then those words no longer describe, but they prescribe who you are as a person, that's identity. Then that identity is threatened when you use the wrong word to prescribe or describe what's going on. So that word you say is actual hate and violence towards another person. You may have heard this in a lot of different ways, but this is what's happening internally in a lot of people. And then as a cultural whole, 
this is the value that the culture, the society is pushing. And this is a problem because then we, again, the opposite of this Tower of Babel that we've looked at where the words we used were so powerful together, we could communicate and literally build a tower to the heavens. Now the words are being taken away from us so we can't even communicate. And instead of building a tower, I feel like we're digging a hole. We're literally going the other way. So these words, this violence that we're speaking, which by the way, I don't agree with. I don't agree that words can be violence. Yes, words can hurt. The whole sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt you. That's, that's not true. Of course, words hurt. They hurt your heart, they hurt your soul, they hurt your feelings, but words can also be true or false. Once you say a word is beyond true and false, but the word itself is violence towards you, that gives the word more meaning than it actually can physically convey because violence is physical. It has a physical component. So what we're talking about is not physical violence, it's emotional injury. And emotional injury is real. Again, words can hurt you, but it's not physical violence. And we again have conflated the two, and this is where the words that should have meaning now don't have meaning anymore. And this is a problem for our society because now we don't even understand what each other are talking about. So what I wanted to do to illustrate this is talk about a, sorry, we had a computer glitch there. What I wanted to do to illustrate this is talk about a story that came out of a pastor in the UK a couple of years ago. He was a, he was actually, I believe a chaplain, Reverend Dr. Bernard Russell at Trent College was a school chaplain and he was reported to uh, the school's actually a terrorist watch list without his knowledge and forced out of his job as a chaplain for preaching the Bible and preaching what the Bible says. Again, a lot of, in the way, a lot of lines in associated with male and female and some of this ideology in, in regards to gender and in regards to how you view your identity. So this was a couple of years ago and I want to play this clip of him talking about what he talked about in this message that he gave in the chapel of an ostensibly Christian school where he was the chaplain in charge of giving a message in the chapel to this ostensibly Christian school. Again, I repeated that a bunch of times, but I think that's important. I think it's important to note that his very literal job was to be the chaplain preaching the word of God in the chapel service in a Christian college. So he's not out on the street preaching. He's not in a secular college preaching. He's not in a philosophy class preaching. He's in the place that is supposed to uphold the values of the Bible, doing the thing that he was hired to do. And this is what occurred. Let's take a look at this clip. This is the sermon I gave in June 2018. But remember that religious belief is just as protected in law as sexual orientation. And no one has the right to discriminate against you or be abusive towards you. When ideologies compete, we should not descend into abuse. We should respect the beliefs of others. The fact that in this day and age, a sermon should be deemed effectively blasphemous by other people. It would just never have occurred to me before this happened that that could be something that would happen. So that was Reverend Randall um, at Trent College talking about an ideology and, and for sure. But I, I heard a, an extended portion of this clip as well. And basically 
he was asked about identity politics and whether you have to affirm this or whether you can just disagree with it and say, in essence, you can do what you want to do, but I'm going to follow what I believe the word of God to be saying, and I can try to love you, I can try to help you, I can be there for you, but I'm not going to agree with the things that you're doing, which is, I think, a great approach. Again, if you're struggling with these things, I get it. I've had friends, uh, many friends who, who deal with this. I just met even a guy this weekend who has struggled with homosexuality his whole life and now has a ministry to help other people who are struggling with this. And he's doing his best to live life in the way that God intends, according to scripture, not according to the feelings, the desires of his heart. And he shared with me how difficult the struggle is. But at the same time, now, not only are we forced to acknowledge these feelings exist, but we're forced to affirm these feelings. And I think this story is important. This is an important news story because the story is now that this pastor, this chaplain, <clears throat> was not only removed from his job, and even right now there, there's some, the, he and the school are battling back and forth, so it's an ongoing situation. But, but not only that, this person was put on a terror watch list, a terror watch list in the UK for acts of apparently terrorism. The point that I'm making here is the words this chaplain said in the service of running a chapel in an ostensibly Christian college to some felt like terrorism. This is like beyond even violence. Now we're inciting others to terrorism, to more violence. This is a problem in our society if we cannot have language for things, if we cannot talk about things, if we cannot speak about what is real and true and what is not real and what is not true. These are problems in our society. We, we have removed the language. And, and this is what I want to call out. This is why I wanted to start with the Tower of Babel story in the Bible, because that was God stepping in and saying, hey, you, as a person, as a human on this earth, are trying to do something outside of your scope. You are not supposed to be God. And God steps in and says, one of the big reasons you were able to do this is because you as humans work so well together. And that's actually a huge blessing. It's a huge, amazing point that humans are able to work that well together. So God separated us and changed the language. And then after that point, we didn't work together as well because we literally couldn't understand each other. You may have been in a situation where you're trying to explain something to a person that cannot understand the same language as you. I know I've been in that situation. So then we get to this person, Reverend Randall, where the opposite is true. Now the language that we're using that used to be the same language, these other powers that be that are not the power of God, as in the story of Babel, but are the powers of this world are trying to remove the shared language that we have. And you see the effects of this. As I mentioned, the effects are not just we don't agree. And we used to say this thing, I agree to disagree. That is out the window. We, know, we do not agree to disagree anymore. Now, the other side says, if you don't agree, your words are violence. And now if you don't agree, your words are terrorism to me, not even just a threat to me personally, but a threat to the nation of England. I, I, like, again, what's the extension of this? It's, it is unbelievable, unintelligible that a chaplain 
in a chapel preaching the word of God at a Christian school is now on a terror watch list for doing the thing he was hired to do in the environment that should have understood the word of God and long held over thousands of years, very clear Christian beliefs from a biblical worldview. He says, quote, my story sends a message to other Christians that you are not free to talk about your faith. He continues, it seems no longer enough just to tolerate LGBT plus ideology. You must accept it without question and no debate is allowed without serious consequences. I 100% see what has happened to me in Orwellian terms. We've talked about Orwell in the past and his books where he, like the whole point of 1984, Orwell's book, is that the language continually changed. If you haven't read it, please go read it. It's such a good read and it's such a good primer to understand what I'm talking about. Obviously, Orwell is not talking about it in biblical terms, but he's talking about it in really uh, Marxist, socialist, communist terms, because that's what communist Russia did, communist China did. They changed the language to the point that you cannot understand the language anymore. And if you don't agree with the language that's changed, then you're out. And in his book, that, that goes on and on and on. I'm not going to reiterate the book right now. You can go read it or, or find some summaries of it. It's really good. And uh, Dr. Re Dr. Randall goes on and says, Truth matters, but increasingly powerful groups in our society do not care about the truth. This is the thing that I just wanted to talk about because I think this is so important. I think it's so important that we understand we are truth bringers. We are truth bearers. We bear the truth of Christ. We bear the truth of God and we bring that to the world. That is our job. That's what we're supposed to do. This world does not want to hear the truth or see the truth. It didn't start with Pilate, but you can read a great account of the truth from Pilate, Pontius Pilate, as Jesus talks to him and Jesus says, I am the truth. I bring the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? We have taken that through several philosophers, I'm going to get into that at a later date, all the philosophers that went through this, that changed our reality and our perception and the way that we view truth. And now the truth is unrecognizable to most. So as believers, we really have to, we really have to be the truth and understand the truth. I want to draw another parallel, and that is in comedy. Personally, I love comedy. I, I really like laughing. In fact, I've been accused sometimes of laughing a little bit too loud. Uh, whenever I'm around a young child or a baby or someone who's trying to nap, I kind of get in trouble. I'm, I'm usually not allowed in, or I get in trouble in libraries a lot of times because I'm just not quiet. Just about every morning when I get up and I start having a conversation with somebody, I'm told to shush because I'm talking too loud. I'm laughing too loud. I, I, I apologize to you, the viewer, as well. Apparently, I'm loud. Whatever. It is It is what it is. I'm trying to own it. I'm kind of trying to change, but it's kind of who I am. Anyway, I like to laugh. I like to laugh loud. Unfortunately, I'm usually the loudest one in the movie theater because I enjoy life. I enjoy funny. And, and I laugh loud about it. When was the last time that you saw a movie that was so funny, it made you laugh out loud and it made you laugh that loud? I have great memories of comedy movies from the 90s, 2000s, even late like 28, 9s. I can't think of a good movie that made me laugh that loud recently 
there there are very few to none. I can maybe think of one, but most people wouldn't think it's funny because I have a weird sense of humor. Anyway, we can't do comedy anymore. My point is we can't do comedy anymore. And there have been people, uh, there have been a lot of people in Hollywood, in the news, talking about how we cannot do comedy anymore. Uh, even Joe Rogan on, on an episode just, just lately said, basically comedy is dead and you can't do comedy anymore. Sorry, I'm having weird computer things there again. But uh, that you can't do comedy anymore because we can't, and the reason is you can't talk about what's funny because funny is all about language. And this is like uh, showing how the sausage is made. So I apologize about that. But, but good comedy is based on taking the language putting a cultural edge on it and going outside the bounds of normality a little bit. You know, you talk about stepping across the line and good comedy steps across the line just enough to illustrate how wacky society is gone. And, and then we laugh about it and then we kind of self-deprecate a little bit and we can go, oh, that's funny and it's true. And ooh, maybe I should adjust my behavior a little bit. And you had great comics like Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock and Kevin Hart who've been doing this for a long time, but now it's harder for them to do it. And they have talked about this. Even Kevin Hart, poor Kevin Hart, like he's a funny guy. Uh, again, he's one that in the past I have definitely laughed out loud at his comedy. Hilarious. And yet he was hired to do, I think it was the Oscars. I didn't look this up, but I think it was the Oscars or the Academy Awards or something like that. And I know it's the same thing, sorry. And, and then he was fired because some of his things were inappropriate. And yes, they were. The point of comedy is you take a step over that line a little bit and you illustrate to people your society, the way you view things is inappropriate. And that comedy helps us to, through laughing, through good feelings and shared language, change our behavior for the good. Like, Yes, I know there's dark comedy and, and some comedy is inappropriate. Okay, those are the people that step over the line too much. But that's a dance because you have to be able to step over the line a little bit. And then we all laugh and go, Haha, that was funny or not as funny. And that's okay because those are the people, the comics in society throughout history. This is not even a recent thing. Go back to divine comedy, divine tragedy in Greek uh, and Roman theater and mythology like this is how people talked about society for thousands and thousands of years because humanity understands funny. And when funny is true and insightful, that is the greatest benefit to society. The problem with the death of comedy, and this is a really big problem, now we cannot laugh. A society that cannot laugh at themselves is literally doomed. And I, oh God, I hate to be doom and gloom. I don't mean to be that. But... But this is a big, big problem. It's a big, big problem that we cannot laugh at ourselves and we take ourselves too seriously. When you take yourself too seriously, you get out over your skis and there's this word that the Bible uses over and over and over again in the Proverbs, in the Psalms, in the prophets, in Jesus' words, in Paul's words. It's this word called pride. And we're going to talk more about pride at a later time. I don't, I don't want to let too much out because I'm going to do a whole session on pride. But we have glorified the idea of pride and pride is not a virtue. Even outside of the Bible, pride has never been a, a virtue. Again, in ancient Greek, in Roman, there's this idea of hubris that maybe you've heard of that word hubris. That was not a good thing. And again, in a funny way, because again, I like comedy. We're talking about comedy. It's this getting out over the edge of your skis. If you've ever skied, like that's a metaphor, but it means if you get over too far, 
then you go over and you spill. And as, as the Bible would say, pride goes before a fall. But when we don't, when we take ourselves too seriously, then we cannot appreciate ourselves and we get prideful rather than this funny, even self-deprecating humor brings us back down to size and we realize like, oh, the opposite of this Tower of Babel, we are not the center of the universe. We are not God. Maybe we should have a little humility. Instead, this culture is elevating pride. But the point in this message is the language is the most important part of this. And as we remove the language from reality and we remove the language from something we can converse with, then we can no longer get to the actual values, the actual morality that makes sense. Even another, here's another example, Ricky Gervais, really funny comedian. Again, I have laughed out loud many times at him, not always appropriate, but very funny. And he hosted, I think it was the Golden Globes. I should have looked up these award shows, but who cares, right? Anyway, because they're all the same and nobody watches them anymore anyway. But a couple of years ago, he hosted, I think it was the Golden Globes, and he had an hilarious opening speech where he basically roasted and made fun of everybody in the whole thing. And, and he made fun of all these people. And it was really funny. Again, not entirely all appropriate, but it was really funny. And, and really, it was mostly true. And, and the biggest theme I think I could draw out of it was, please don't take yourself so seriously. You are not the prophets and priests of this universe. He didn't say it this way. I would say it this way. You should just accept your award, say thank you, and go home. That's essentially what he said. And guess what he hasn't been invited back to? Any award show since then. Because you are not allowed to be funny speaking truth to culture. And speaking truth to culture is a really, really important thing. It's important because it brings us back to humility. And this is a really important point. He said, uh, I have a quote for you. Uh, he was speaking to talk radio. I believe in this last, just this last July, he said, quote, social media amplifies everything. If you are left wing on, on Twitter, you're suddenly Trotsky. Um, uh, that's a long and complicated. Uh, I'm not going to explain Trotsky. You can look it up. If he goes on to say, if you're mildly conservative, you're Hitler. This was two sides of, of a different coin, whether you're revered or whether you're hated. That's the simplest way I can put it. He goes on to say, if you are a centrist and you look at both arguments, you're a coward and they both hate you, end quote. I think this is the really important point. And, and the point that I've tried to say too, because I'm starting to stand up and I'm starting to say everything that I can say to help you understand these true things must be said. You have to find your voice wherever that is. If it's even in your family, if it's with your friends, I, I don't care, but you have to find your voice and you have to say the true things. You have to stand up for truth because if you are in the middle, he says this well, he's not a Christian, he's not a conservative. He is, I guess I would say a liberal, but his point here is 100% true. If you are in the center and you look at both arguments and you try to stay in the middle, you are a coward and they are both going to hate you. Both sides are going to hate you. You're going to get stuck in this. And it reminds me of, not to make everything spiritual, but we this is church public. We talk about spiritual things. It reminds me of God saying, you're either hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I spit you out. Like, And, and the point is, be all in for something or be all in for something one way or another, choose your side and, and live it. Because if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. And this is, this is a problem because then you're not contributing to the solution. And 
I, I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to call people out in this way, but we, we have got to stand. This is our time to stand up. The church, even individual believers, have been quiet for too long, and we have got to get up, and we have got to stand for something. My hope is that you stand for truth, that you follow Jesus, and that you bring in a new reformation. So what I want to end with, and I, I hope you've made it to the end because I think this is the most important part. Um, I'm calling this a new reformation. Uh, you, you, you don't have to use that term. It's probably trademarked somewhere else anyway, but, but this is not the Luther's reformation. That was very important and, uh, and, and that was helpful to the church. But we're at this point where we need a new reformation because here's the opposite of the things that we've been talking about. We started talking about the Tower of Babel, and the Tower of Babel was where we got over our skis. We got overly prideful as humans and built something to try to replace God. So God knocked us down a couple notches, like actually, literally, according to the story. Now we're in a place where the world, who is led by the devil, we'll just, just throw that right out there, is telling us we cannot speak the same language and at every turn they're trying to take these shared language these shared words from us so we literally can't speak and we can't do things together there is a solution for this there is a biblical solution for this and you probably know it already but it is so important for us to do together now the solution is and again i'm just calling it new reformation because we have to reform i think that's the best way to say it we have to reform as the body of christ this is not my idea this is jesus idea he talks about it in the upper room when he's talking to the disciples about literally the body of christ his body that we meet over and consecrate over in the act of communion but even beyond that as paul talks about in corinthians and in other places we are now the body of christ we are the body of christ and it's important for us to be the body of christ because with each our gift we're able to do more than we can now I love this. I, I, hope, I hope you can appreciate this. In the Tower of Babel, what happened was we were getting too prideful and we moved out ahead of where we were supposed to be and we tried to be like God or tried to be God in the, in the worst sense. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit and Pentecost. And he talks about how we have these gifts through faith in Christ. And we are not supposed to be in this place where we're lonely and hurting. Uh, you need, especially in this time, where it has been an unprecedented time of loneliness and fear, and, and you have probably experienced some of these things, the loneliness with this shutdown and the fear of this shutdown and the fear of death and whatever, whatever you're working through. And it's not supposed to be that way. You're not supposed to be at home living by yourself. We talked about not giving up gathering yesterday. In this time where everyone is telling you, you need to be more separated, you need to be more divided, we believers need to be more united. The message that God gives through Jesus, through Paul, through Peter is that, uh, and others, is that unity is almost the most important thing because they will know us by our love when, that, when we are united in love together. It is so important for us to be united in love. And God wants to put you together with other people so that you don't do this on your own. You, you don't have to be alone. You don't have to do this alone. So let's read through Corinthians. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read this together. Um, let me just pull this up. Give me a moment here. Just as a body... 
though one has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up not of one part, but of many. This is verse 24. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. Did you hear that? Division is the important thing we have to avoid. We should not have division. All this world wants from you is to divide you, divide you by race, divide you by gender, divide you by sex, by color, by class, by value. They, they, they want to come up with all these different ideas to divide you. And that is not the way. That is not the way of following Jesus. We are supposed to be not divided because we are a body. We are connected. The parts, this is continuing in verse 25, we should not have division in the body so that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is verse 27. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. The incredible parallel of Pentecost to the Tower of Babel is... At the Tower of Babel, you have everybody speaking the same language and they get together and they're able to accomplish amazing things. So amazing that they become prideful and try to take over heaven. Pentecost is this incredible moment where it finally flips back. Jesus comes. Jesus returns to heaven. Jesus says the spirit uh, is coming and the spirit arrives at Pentecost. Go read about it in Acts. And what you see at Pentecost is people speaking in tongues where all of the people who spoke different languages can suddenly and miraculously be able to understand each other. Do you see that? Do you get it? Do you understand that the God that separated us by language for the good of all mankind to avoid the fall, literal fall from a great tower. Now this God has put us back together so that as Jesus says in John 14, you will do greater things than this. And Paul is telling us how. This is how. Through the body of Christ, through the power of the Spirit, and we need this common language that God has now given us once again to be united so that we cannot be divided in this times. We must not be divided in this times. You and I have to band together as believers under one head. That is Jesus. I hope that through your friends, through your family, through other believers that you know, through your local church, you can find a connection to a community and you will not be divided, but you will be united under that one head, Jesus Christ. Because through Jesus, as Jesus said, this is not me, this is Jesus' words. In Jesus' words, you can do greater things when we are together in the body of Christ. God bless you and I do hope that you keep the faith. As always, thank you so much for joining Church Public. I really appreciate you tuning in. Check us out at iTunes, Spotify, Google, YouTube. Search Church Public with one word. You can check us out on social media, Insta, Facebook, Twitter, all the places. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.